0: Honest Casey once said, Worry is a weakness from which very few of us are entirely free. We must be on guard against this most insidious enemy of our peace and soul. Instead, let us foster confidence in God and thank Him ahead of time for whatever He chooses to send us. Welcome to the 15th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because so many of us are bogged down, even paralyzed, with worry, and we all need to pray for each other that we can find the peace and relief God so desperately wants us all to experience. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. Before we get to the questions you've all sent in, I'd like us to take a minute to pray for Jared Wilson, the megachurch associate pastor from Riverside, California, who committed suicide at the age of 30 on Monday. He was a mental health advocate working hard to fight against depression and suicidal thoughts in our culture and was quite open about battling his own mental health symptoms. Let us all join together to pray for Jared that his soul may be welcomed into the loving and merciful arms of Jesus in a way known only to God. For his wife and two sons and everyone desperate Fighting against the daily lies being told to them by depression, anxiety, and suicidal thinking, Father of all, we pray to you for Jared, and for all those whom we love but no longer see. Grant to them eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon them. May his soul and the souls of all the departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. Please. Please remember that mental illness, depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and every other affliction we face is not a failure on your part. It isn't happening because you aren't holy enough or because you don't trust God enough or because you haven't believed enough when you've prayed for healing and strength. It is an illness and just like any other illness, it sometimes requires the help of others to help us get back on our feet. Reaching out for help shows incredible strength, so never feel ashamed for doing so. And please, if you're feeling suicidal or have a tendency to feel that way, put the number 741 741 in your phone and text home to that number whenever you need help. Okay, first up today, Katie shared a thread about people of color seeking out tarot card readings and similar things and asked, quote, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the phenomenon of members of minority groups where mental health is particularly stigmatized, turning to tarot card or other occult phenomenon for support and care. A non-Catholic, non-religious friend who is himself a queer black man that I haven't seen in years shared the thread and expresses support, so I don't think it would be prudent to engage him on the timeline but I'd be interested to know how to best engage with this idea if it were to come up, say, at a cocktail party in real life. (laughs) Katie, that kind of cocktail party sounds like fun. Let's kick things off by praying together for everyone looking for answers in these types of practices that they may find their satiation for deep spiritual encounters in Christ alone. And I'll try to pray slower uh, as has been requested to ensure we can all pray together. All right, so let's do this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank you for setting this one in, Katie. It's fascinating because this has come up in my own life with a co-worker recently bringing the topic up. We're all looking for a spiritual experience. We all wonder what it could be like to have an experience that comes from beyond. And we all just kind of want some answers, right? So I think it's important to first admit that the this interest is a completely normal part of our human nature. As to why we might be seeing a resurgence in these kind of practices, it seems to me it's because of a failure on the church, and I include myself in this, to show people people there's an answer for that deep yearning right here within the Catholic faith. And I'd even venture a guess that we fail even more profoundly at this when it comes to our sisters and brothers of color. We should probably ask ourselves when we're at Mass, when we're in our various Catholic groups, and when we're sharing about the faith anywhere in our lives, are people able to see something deeply spiritual happening here? Are people able to have that hunger fulfilled by what's happening here? Are we sharing the incredibly deep spiritual truths with others? Do we talk about the mystical traditions in our church? Do we talk about how the answer to every question we have about things beyond this world are answered by Christ, the way, the truth, and the life? Do we live our lives like people who've been touched deeply by Christ and live our lives differently because of it? And more to the point of the question asked by Katie, do we reach out to our sisters and brothers of color in and outside of our church, our LGBT sisters and brothers in and outside of the church, to non-Catholics with this incredible news? And in terms of people seeking out these practices for their mental health, we need to reflect on if we are perpetuating the stigma that people feel around getting mental health care in a traditional setting and learn to be more encouraging uh, to get people to access mental health care and see it as a strength. Next up, Mary checks in. I wish I was local so I could be your friend and ask you a bunch of questions. That's way too kind. Thank you. Since that's not the case, do you have any recommendations or resources for me to learn more about the therapy spiritual integration? I know there are so many ways not to go about Catholic therapy, and at the same time, I have a desire to connect the two. Thanks for sending this in, Mary. I think all of us have spent some time thinking about the intersection of our mental health and our faith. I mean, that's the whole reason I started the podcast, so I think we're on to something here. When I've made comments in the past about the ways to not go about Catholic therapy, as you mentioned, it mostly focused on not limiting your search for a therapist who's explicitly Catholic. I think it's far more important to find a therapist who knows how to help people with symptoms or the situation you find yourself trying to cope with and starting there while of course taking the time to share the importance of your faith with that therapist right at the onset of treatment. It's way more important to find a therapist who knows how to help people suffering from PTSD, for example, if that's what you're experiencing, than to find a therapist who prays the rosary every day but has never worked with anyone experiencing PTSD, and I hope that makes sense. I don't know any resources off the top of my head that I'd recommend, but in terms of your question, I'd like to note a couple of things I find very important to remember when we're looking at the intersection of the Catholic faith and mental health therapy. First, the dignity of the person. Our faith and any therapy worth its copay recognizes that every single one of us has dignity and value that exists and remains no matter what. Our dignity, value, importance, and worth does not depend on our experiencing of mental health symptoms, does not depend on if we're able to get out of bed in the morning or not because of depression, does not depend on if we have a job or not, does not depend on if we need medications, does not depend on any trauma we've been through. None of it we have value no matter what number two suffering has meaning once again our faith and therapy both find meaning in suffering In our faith, we see that suffering has value in terms of sanctification, in terms of bringing us closer to God. And in therapy, we learn that suffering has value in terms of making us who we are, showing us our strength in the midst of sorrow, and giving us a way to turn our suffering into a means of helping others who've experienced something similar. And lastly, number three, help comes to us from God through other human beings. He comes to us through our family and friends. He comes to us through our priests. He comes to us through our doctors, therapists, and other helping professionals. And of course, he comes to us through Jesus Christ. This idea that we aren't in this alone, we aren't expected to solve all our problems in a vacuum, it's a vitally important realization that comes both from therapy and our faith. And once we realize what a strength it is to accept that reality, we can start to move forward in our mental and spiritual wellness journeys. So each episode I'm gonna introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to dig into Saint Padre Pio with a little help from the Padre Pio Foundation. By the time he was five years old, Padre Pio had already made the decision to dedicate his life to God. He began taking on penances to prove his dedication and love for God. As a child, he worked on the farm by taking care of a small flock of sheep that the family owned until the age, until he was 10 years old, which delayed his education. But at the age of 15, he got involved in private tutoring that allowed him to join the capuchin order. Capuchin, do I say that right? I never know. <laughs> capuchin, how's that? <laughs> Once he joined the Friary of St. Francis, he He had several bouts of serious illness and religious ecstasy. Friars would report the strange noises that were coming from his cell. Padre Pio frequently spoke about attacks from the devil, and it was there where these battles had taken place. Although he was very ill, he was ordained as a priest in 1910. In August of 1918, he began experiencing a painful stigmata that would come and go over a period of weeks. This would soon become permanent and remain on his body for the next 50 years. It only disappeared miraculously a few days before his death in September of 1968 in the beginning Padre Pio felt great humiliation at the wounds on his body the visible stigmata on his body was one that brought him great pain but he welcomed it he welcomed the pain for all mankind he had stated many times that his greatest wish was to die padre pio died of a heart attack on september 23rd 1968 and on june 16th 2002 he was canonized by pope john paul ii padre pio is an inspiration to countless catholics around the world and his life shows us that the love of god can carry us through the most intense trials the darkest moments and the most intense pain we like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer so let's get this prayer for uh for padre pio composed by jp2 himself going are you guys ready Teach us, we pray, humility of heart, so that we may be counted among the little ones of the gospel to whom the Father promised to reveal the mysteries of his kingdom. Help us to pray without ceasing, certain that God knows what we need even before we ask him. Obtain for us the eyes of faith that will help us recognize in the poor and suffering the very face of Jesus. Sustain us in the the hour of trouble and trial, and if we fall, let us experience the joy of the sacrament of forgiveness. Grant grant us your tender devotion to Mary, mother of Jesus and our mother. Accompany us on our earthly pilgrimage toward the blessed homeland, where we too hope to arrive to contemplate forever the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. (laughs) Jay gets us started. Jay gets us started. I would love to hear your thoughts about how to parent and or co-parent with an alcoholic. Thank you, Jay, for sending this in and let's all stop what we're doing and pray for all those suffering from alcohol dependence, their families, their friends, and their children. My heart truly goes out to those suffering from substance dependence and all those who love them and care for them. It's such a deep pain and such a misunderstood issue, even in our time today. The call to be a parent alongside someone who is suffering in this way is truly a cross. And while all things can be endured with the grace of God, there are a few things we have to do to help get us through. First is to be willing to get help as a family unit. I really believe that framing our struggles with the entire family unit, uh, it takes the burden of pressure off the identified patient of the family and better opens them up to be willing to get help next set boundaries if someone suffering from alcohol dependence isn't willing to get help there have to be boundaries around their parenting to ensure the kids are safe both physically and emotionally perhaps boundary setting would look like this one no drinking in front of the kids or two requiring as much as you can taking step toward getting help in order to participate in certain aspects of life with the kids even something as simple as attending one aa meeting a week or something Last, and I realize the seriousness of this when I say it, if there are concerns about safety and boundary setting isn't keeping everyone safe, spouses have to be willing to do what's best for their children, and that might include separation. Of course, we would pray and, and work for reconciliation if at all possible, but separation for the safety of children and spouses has to be something we talk about here. Violence is never okay. Degrading verbal abuse, abuse is never okay, and we have to be real and tell people it's okay if separation has to occur for everyone's well-being. Anonymous is up next. Can you talk about gender dysphoria, as in what it is, how it works, and how to live faithfully with them? Thanks, Anonymous. Let's start by breaking out the old DSM-5, the Bible of mental health conditions, and breaking down exactly what we're talking about here. Gender dysphoria involves a conflict between a person's physical or assigned gender and the gender with which he or she or they identify. To arrive at a diagnosis, we must see at least two of the following, and they must last for at least six months. All right, number one, here we go. A marked incongruence between one's experience, expressed gender and primary and or secondary sex characteristics. Number two, a strong desire to be rid of one's primary and or secondary sex characteristics. Number three, a strong desire for the primary and or secondary sex characteristics of the other gender. Four, a strong desire to be the other gender. Five, a strong desire to be treated as the other gender. And six, a strong conviction that one has the typical feelings and reactions of the other gender. The next part of your question, so that's for diagnosis, The next. Part of your question was related to how it works and we'll stay with the dsm a little bit longer the gender conflict affects people in different ways it can change the way a person wants to express their gender and can influence behavior dress and self-image some people may cross dress some people may want to socially transition others may want to medically transition with sex change surgery or hormone treatment People with gender dysphoria may allow themselves to express their true selves and may openly want to be affirmed in their gender identity. They may use clothes and hairstyles and adopt a new first name of their experienced gender. And then the last part of your question, how to live faithfully with them, I guess I would just say that we all struggle on a daily basis to live faithfully in spite of everything we have churning through our minds and in our lives. And the best way I have found to live faithfully in spite of all that is to find a community that welcomes you and has the same goal in mind as you, following Christ above all things, following the teachings of the church, and living a life focused on becoming a saint. God never intended for us to find the narrow path alone. And that's why when we try to find it alone, we struggle so dang much. But as Dorothy Day once said, we have learned that the only solution is love, and that love comes with community. God bless you, Anonymous. We'll be praying for you. Peyton brings us on home with this one. I have struggled with really bad anxiety throughout my life, and when I dove into my faith as a freshman in college, I developed crippling scrupulosity. I spoke to a few priests, but the majority of the time, They uh, were not knowledgeable enough about anxiety to offer specific advice. I wanted to try therapy, and I did, but since my therapist wasn't Catholic, it made therapy difficult for me, as my anxiety caused me not to trust her, sadly. I still deal with being scrupulous frequently, and I would love to seek help, so I was just wondering what you would suggest for someone who may not have resources nearby. Thank you for this great question, Peyton. And I'd love everyone to take a minute to pray for Peyton and all of us suffering from anxiety and specifically scrupulosity and keeps uh that the scrupulosity that keeps us feeling far from the love of God. Let's pray, okay? Hail, holy queen, mother of mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs mourning and weeping in this valley of tears? turn then most gracious advocate thine eyes of mercy toward us and after this our exile show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb jesus o clement o loving o sweet virgin mary pray for us o holy mother of god that we may be made worthy of the promises of christ Amen. I'll knock out the part about the resources first because I really believe in something you can get your hands on for around $10 that'll go a long way toward helping with anxiety. It's called the Anxiety and Worry Workbook, The Cognitive Behavioral Solution by David Clark and one of my heroes, Aaron Beck. Get your hands on this book, you guys. Now, a brief note on scrupulosity. Most of us don't talk about it in this way, but I think it helps to remember that scrupulosity is a form of obsessive-compulsive disorder, and it might be better referred to as religious OCD. We're going to get some help from Rachel Emke at childmind.org here. Sometimes it can look like a person's faith is causing his symptoms, but religion is more likely an unfortunate bystander along for the ride. If you think about a person with OCD who worries about germs and washes his hands compulsively, it's clear that the germs aren't causing his behavior. The OCD is responsible for it, and religious OCD works in the same way. For example, someone with scrupulosity might worry that she didn't say a prayer correctly. Maybe some of the words were out of order or she didn't say it with the proper reverence. She might fear uh, some religious consequences from this, so she says the prayer again and possibly a third and a fourth time as a correction. She might worry that she doesn't do enough good deeds or or worry that she only does good deeds for selfish reasons. She might worry about having blasphemous thoughts against offend- and offending God. Now, a big part of OCD is asking people for reassurance. And with religious OCD, this comes in different forms. Asking questions like, Did I just commit a sin? and needing a definitive answer. Wanting people to participate in rituals like compulsively praying. Demanding that others avoid her anxiety triggers like not saying certain words or doing certain activities in her presence. Getting reassurance helps in the moment, but in reality, it's just another compulsion that feeds OCD precisely because. There's never enough reassurance to quiet our anxiety, and it can actually make the anxiety even stronger. One of the ways to cope with this anxiety is to avoid reassurance or or avoid reassuring your loved one who's suffering from scrupulosity and instead deny oneself the definitive answer to these questions, having the anxiety hit us and overwhelm us, and then learning to let the anxiety naturally decrease until our brain learns that these obsessive thoughts no longer have power over us. Remember, if you're a family member or a friend, you should not be saying things like, of course you didn't sin, that's not like you, or God wouldn't care about that. Instead, the healing for those suffering from religious OCD comes from what we hinted at above, something we call exposure response prevention or ERP. It might sound weird, but here's an example uh, from intrusivethoughts.org. You get you expose yourself to different levels of risk. So you start with something small like sampling a piece of cheese at a deli and then walking away. This simulates the idea of stealing even though you really weren't stealing. You might be asked to take a piece of paper and litter it on the street or to jaywalk Um, I'm not gonna encourage people to do illegal things, but, but I mean something that's small that would kind of set off that thought process of oh my gosh, did I do something wrong? And then the risks gradually increase to a point where you might be asked to repeat something to yourself like that the Virgin Mary was never really a virgin maybe. This isn't intended to be some sort of renunciation of faith, of course, but rather leading yourself to think about something you don't actually believe, saying it out loud, and then sitting with the panic and anxiety around having vocalized that thought, letting the anxiety build up, denying yourself reassurance and waiting for the anxiety to go away, showing that you have the power, not the obsessive thoughts. During the period of time where the anxiety is overwhelming, you can engage in little coping skills that aren't giving into the compulsions like deep breathing, counting, uh, whatever would help you endure this difficulty. And and you can start to do this once per day and then increase until eventually your brain rewires itself. And I should point out that, that doing this with a therapist to help guide you and teach you these skills in a hands-on manner is a real really really good idea but the point of it is is to try to put yourself into those situations that you avoid and not give yourself the reassurance that you seek so badly because your anxiety is overwhelming and eventually you can overcome it there's healing there's freedom and it's a hard road but you go with all of our prayers All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry, I'll be praying for you, and so will St. Dymphna.